0: The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, cocktail recipes, and disturbing sexual imagery. It's typical fucking Morrison, isn't it? Like a a, a problem arises, the problem's identified. What are we going to do about it? Nothing. We're going to do nothing for quite a while, and then we're going to do some more, some more nothing, and then we'll maybe we'll scratch our ass if it becomes a bit uncomfortable, and then finally there'll be a a sort of mad scramble and a panic and you wrap the whole thing up in 100 mile an hour tape and you throw it away as quickly as possible it wasn't my fault somebody over there fucked up
1: saturday the 23rd of april 2022 the autumn series continues with special guest john birmingham he's an author he's a columnist he's a wonderful chap to chat with JB's been on the pod plenty of times, as you know, so you know what to expect.
0: Most of it's going to be the sort of idiot yammering of complete fuckwits who don't know much about anything, who got all of their briefing from the Daily Telegraph. This
1: episode, we talk about strategic things like the Solomon Islands, about Ukraine and about the great power competition between the US and China when
0: China has an ageing Population. Demographics is fucking destiny, mate, and their destiny is not looking good. And in the second
1: half, things take an unexpected turn. You wanted a fucking
0: trigger word. Well, here we are. You've triggered me. Off we go.
1: There's even some cocktail recipes. I mean, yes. <laughs> Hello, I'm Still This is the 9pm breakfast martini and coprophagic strategy chat with John Birmingham. Yeah, don't ask. Uh, Mr John Birmingham, welcome to the pod once more.
0: Happy to be here, mate.
1: We may not be happy at the end of this because the problem is uh, there's not a lot of opportunity for mirth and hilarity today. Um, Don't talk about the war, they say, but we will shortly. Uh, We've got the election uh, to drone on about. But look, there's Mm. some other things to balance that a bit, but I will start with the, the potential for a future war or something.
0: There are warnings that China could set up a military base in the Solomon Islands within weeks after the two countries signed an historic security agreement. The Solomon Islands is over 6,000 kilometres from China's mainland, but less than 2,000 kilometres from Australia's east coast. That means for the first time since World War II, we could be under direct threat from a potentially hostile power. It's scary stuff.
1: 2,000 kilometres away. It's a threat to Australia, John. China,
0: China, China. is it? Me old China? Uh, yeah, mm. it is. Of course, it is. Um, yeah. It's you know, it, it, you sound like such a, a sort of you know, crazy old granddad when you <laughs> you end up talking about this stuff. Um, but it's yeah. uh, you know, unfortunately, it, it's it's real. You know, um, states, particularly hyper states like China and the the US, they. You know, they have the shit that they do and they're doing their shit right now. Um, you know, they're both manoeuvring for dominance, you know, not just within the region but but globally um, and not across space mm. uh, alone but also through time. Like, you know, the time is a, a huge factor in uh, Xi Jinping's calculations of, you know, what he's got to get done mm. in the time he has left because he's, you know, he's not a... He's not a young, like he's not old in, in Chinese terms, but he's uh, you know, in terms of you know the vital Senior energy he has left. Know, yeah, he's yeah, got a career path. He's, he's yeah. probably got he's probably got 10 or 12 years of you know, as long as he you know eats his Wheaties for breakfast and, and keeps keeps his diet low fat, looks after his macros, <laughs> gets a bit of strength training in with the cardio. He's probably got 10, 12, 15 years left at the top of his game. Um, but the Chinese economy and uh, Chinese demography is is against him. Uh, what he wants to do is is basically return the Middle Kingdom to preeminence by the time he's done, and then, you know, he'd be thought well of within that sphere for the next thousand years or so. So that's motivation enough to kick on, um, and he's, he's running out of time because they're, demographically they're collapsing.
1: An ageing population, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, the ageing population is everything. Demographics is fucking destiny, mate, and their destiny is not looking good. Like, at the way the demographic trends plot out over the next 25, 50, even 100 years, which is, you know, the, the time frames that uh, these these guys think in um, and we should think in, it's not looking good. I think 100 years from now, China's population on current trends would be lower than America's. So he knows that he's got um, he's got limited time to achieve his strategic ends, and he's also, you know, he, he's he's in a bit of a golden period at the moment because uh, the US is going through one of its, you know, uh, periodic uh, bedshitting phases, um, and you know, they, I'm they, almost they tempted
1: were, to say death throws.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't say that. Like, if you go back and you you look at you know us society back in say 68 69 you could say the same oh, thing true. uh mid 70s the era of stagflation you'd say the same thing and you know by the time reagan gets to office in uh, like early you know was it 80 we would have been elected what november 81 no, and takes office january 82
1: actually the year before elected uh november 1980 uh, and then january 1981 is the uh, inauguration?
0: Uh, you know, they were in some real, real trouble economically um, and you know socially, whatever. But they they do have this great capacity for renewal. Um, maybe they, you know, maybe they, maybe they've blown through that. Maybe they're done. Um, but from Xi Jinping's point of view, they are incredibly divided against themselves. They're they're very much weakened. Um, as a, a strategic actor, and if he's going to to make a move, um, and he, you know, logically his next move is probably on Taiwan. Doesn't mean it has to be; It could be something else. He's got other things he wants to get done, but that's that's the big chess piece that he wants to, you know, to knock off and, and sort of you know put on his side of the board. Um, I suppose that's checkers, isn't it, rather than chess? You know, late twenty four, <laughs> early twenty five is uh, that's when he's got to go because the US will be tearing itself apart over the you know the absolute shit show of its next presidential election, and um, mm. you know if, if you look at the way that the the absolute lunatic fringe of the entertainment wing of the Republican Party has gone on Russia, you can see them going the same way on, you know, China versus Taiwan.
1: What I find interesting, though, I mean, some of the the rhetoric, I feel perhaps that it's a bit over the top because it's suddenly a base 2,000 kilometres from Australia that there might be ships, uh, Chinese ships. And that's the distance from London to Kaliningrad, which is that little Russian enclave on the Baltic coast. It's... Most countries in the world have this shit right next to them all the time and they're not shitting their pants about it because, well, they deal with it. Uh, Obviously, we'll talk in in a short moment about two countries next to each other where it has got shitty, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. No, like, you know, they've, they've got a history of it. We don't really have a history. We've been very lucky through the sort of white Australian uh, period of our history where you know for the most part um, we have not had to uh, contest our strategic space. Like we had a couple of years in the 1940s where we absolutely did have to contest it, and you know the uh, the consensus back then was that it was a near death experience, which is why you suddenly see the white Australia policy kicked to the curb and mass you know immigration brought in from about 40. 46, 47, i think um and the, in that period the, the sort of the the, the since then uh, our strategic space which is you know mostly the pacific but also the the indian ocean has been controlled by you know us and our great and powerful friend in in washington and now that's changing now i don't th- if you know, if we're going to get do a deep deep dive into the wonkiness of this you know, China is not looking to take over the South Pacific, but it is strategically hedging within the South Pacific because if it can put capabilities into the Solomon Islands, those capabilities in and of themselves become a strategic factor which we have to take into account in our planning so that rather than, say, deploying you know, two or three submarines into the Taiwan Strait in the middle of any confrontation with China, those submarines absolutely now have to be deployed uh, out towards Honiara, probably to, you know, initially to launch a bunch of land attack cruise missiles to destroy whatever um, infrastructure they have there, and then, you know, presumably to patrol the battle space around that because if the Chinese were any good and you know we we don't know whether they are or not they'd have got their power projection assets out of honiara in the sort of 24 to 36 hours before we we launched those missiles and so you have the um you know you have the connection between the us and australia at least the sea connection which is what you need for shipping heavy material and, and large numbers of um of personnel from the West Coast to Australia, then up to Darwin. Uh, you have that cut just by the presence. It's it's the same problem that, um, you know, the Russians have with, with Mariupol. Like, you know, what's so fucking great about Mariupol? It's just it's a pile of rubbish and burning bodies now. The problem is that, you know, there's still a couple of thousand Ukrainian Marines in there and if the, I almost said the sobs, if the Russians turn their back. On that, and say, "Ah, oh, let's just let's just get on with gobb- gobbling up the east and, and the south." Then you know they have the real uh, possibility of something going badly awry in their their rear areas because they've left you know this problem spot there, and that is that is what Honiara or the Solomon Islands become for us a a problem spot that we have to deal with.
1: Symbolically, the Solomon Islands uh, are huge in this context too, because one of the Solomon Islands is Guadalcanal, which right. really was the hinge point in the Second World War. Now, I follow uh, another plug for the Time Ghost TV channel on YouTube, which is currently doing World War Two week by week. They're up to uh, what's it's, well, it's, today's the 23rd of April. They're in 1943 at the moment, so we've done Guadalcanal. And actually, looking at that, at looking at the maps, looking how the Solomon Islands sit astride those shipping routes. Mm. And we still have those images. Uh, And I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the yellow peril aspect and the octopus. Now, I've Mm. linked to one of the most famous uses of the octopus of imperialism, uh, which was in the Mm. Bulletin Magazine back in 1886. Big yellow peril period there, Bulletin was uh, an incredibly influential Australian news magazine right through, well, for a century, through to the 1980s and beyond, into the 90s, I think. But yes, they had a full, uh, a double spread lift out you could put up in your home or your shop. The Mongolian Octopus, its grip Mm. on Australia, and it's all about the evils of China and opium and immorality and a couple of gambling games. And that imagery was used again in World War II, except it was Japan, of course. Yeah. This is deep in the Australian psyche. How much is that influencing our perception of this?
0: Uh, look, it's it's definitely there. Um, but when you say, you know, our perception, you know, who are you talking about? Are you, are you talking about the, um, you know, couple of hundred civilian and military Personnel in Canberra who are paid reasonably well to think about this stuff and uh, mm. you know propose policy and act upon that policy every day. Are you talking about the probably two to three thousand nerds around the country, people like you and me who have a, a sort of private interest in this and who will read into it, um, and so could you know have you know, an hour's conversation about it and, and hopefully not you know, look like complete mm. idiots. Or are you talking about a TV producer at Good Morning Australia who wants to, you know, juice the TikTok ratings and so, you know, actually runs ah. his Yellow Peril story, getting that fuckwit Nazi, uh, you know, chippy in who, I can't even remember his name, but... Oh, the, um, the, red-headed,
1: the red-headed tiger,
0: yeah. Yeah, whatever that fuckwit is... Um, and you know they, they had him on seven until you know someone sort of pointed out you got Nazis, actual fucking Nazis on uh, on the show. You better get rid of him. Um, so- oh, I
1: thought you meant Pauline Hansen.
0: No, no, not her. No, <laughs> we got we got to nail this down now because I think this bloke's been an. Yeah, interesting. actually, you're um, right.
1: So I don't I don't know who you mean. Fraser Anning.
0: No, no, but no. He's, he's a mate of Fraser Anning. He's a young bloke. Uh well see I get your late twenties, early thirties, he's in the building trade. Blair Cottrell. Blair Cottrell. Blair fucking Cottrell. Yeah, that cunt. Um, And
1: Todd Sampson has been doing a documentary on him and his fascist mates.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. Make make good choices, Todd. Fuck me. Um, but anyway, look, you know, when you say our perception, you know, whose fucking perception are you talking Sorry, about? Sorry, honest- I just must
1: uh, I must interrupt and say the, the line on this is uh, Marrowing on Twitter the other day who just referred to him as an ad cunt and this is what happens when an ad cunt is suddenly thinking of himself mm. as a public intellectual.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Fair call. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, our perception, uh, like – Honest to God, most people don't think about this stuff from one day to the next. And you know, if you oh, true. are lucky enough to live in a happy period of history, you don't have to. Um, you know, that is mm. that is one of the the luckiest things about most people who lived in the lucky country. They have never had to give this shit a second thought. So the question is, you know, I, I, and I guess this is the sort of this is the um, this is the question which is actually buried within. You know, what you are asking is you know, do we really need to to think about this stuff? And I'd argue, unfortunately, we do. I think history has mm. caught up with us. However, I do think you are correct in that, you know, if you are looking at the discourse such as it is, um, <laughs> most of it, yeah, most of it's going to be the sort of idiot yammering of, you know, Complete fuckwits who don't know much about anything. Who you know basically got all of their um, got all of their briefing from the Daily Telegraph, and you know whether or not <laughs> the guy who's sort of writing that briefing at the Daily Telegraph knows what he's talking about is a, a, a moot point. Um, but yeah, there is an element of some hysteria. I, I, I think that what's happening in the discussion and. Yeah, uh, let's remember it's it's taking place within the context of an election campaign. What's happening with the discussion of the Solomon Islands is that there's a lot more of it than there probably would have been in the normal course of events because most people don't give a shit about foreign affairs or strategic politics or defence policy or anything. Mm-hmm. They just don't care. Um, they're not interested. They just that is one of the things that they expect governments to take care of, um, and so, and in
1: this case, they really they haven't, didn't. given no, that they, they the didn't. Solomon Islands is basically told Australia that you're a patronising mob and, you know, whatever. China treats yeah. us as actual sovereign nations for reals.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, they may they say that. I mean, you know, there's another <laughs> there's another reading uh, of what's going on in, in the Solomons that, that doesn't reflect as well on them. Um, but... To go back to your question of, you know, is there an element of racist hysteria about this? Yeah, of course there is. It's fucking racist hysteria gets in <laughs> everywhere, mate. There's no way uh, no it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but, you know, uh, I mean, when I say everywhere, I mean everywhere. You know, there's a, a huge element of racist hysteria uh, in the war in Ukraine um, and that's, you know that's a bunch of white people killing each other and they've, they've managed <laughs> to... Which just why we we're
1: paying attention
0: to it. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I, I think there is some hysteria, but I also think, you know, it is a serious fucking business and um, if you don't think it's a serious business, you know, maybe you know have a look at some of the TikToks coming out of Mariupol.
1: Well, yes, we'll move on to that. Uh, in fact, now...
0: Well, at today's press conference in Washington, U.S. President Biden also said that there is, and I'm quoting here, no evidence that the city of Mariupol has fallen to Russia. Now, it comes after Moscow tried to claim victory there, saying Russian forces has successfully liberated the port city in Ukraine. Now, some 2,000 soldiers and about 1,000 civilians are still believed to be holding out inside the vast Azov steel plant inside the city. Kiev is demanding that Moscow open a humanitarian corridor to let civilians leave safely. President Putin called off plans today to storm that complex. Instead, in a televised meeting, he told his defence minister to completely seal off the area. Now, that report is from Friday from Deutsche
1: Welle in Germany. Uh, 2,000 soldiers or marines, as uh, as you said, John, and about 1,000 civilians in the steelworks there in Mariupol. And that report went on to say there's probably about 100,000 civilians still living elsewhere in that blasted-out city. Uh, they, did, they did have about five times that originally. Half a million uh, was the population of Mariupol uh, in the four times, roughly. And I have, of course, for those that haven't seen it, I've linked to some drone footage just showing how little of that city is left. Before we say anything else... JB, how, how are we feeling looking at that footage? Where do we start to get our heads around it? Ah,
0: look, I, I had a DM from a guy uh, quite unexpected the other day um, about his feelings about uh, Ukraine. And I, I ended up taking half an hour out to write the quite long... Um, reply because I, I I got myself into quite a, a sort of dark head space in the first couple of weeks of this thing where I was just mm. like doom scrolling it and and deep diving into um, like you know military and strategic analysis and I ended up writing a lot about it for uh, for the boob and, and finally I just thought you know this is actually it's not changing anything Uh and it isn't real good for my mental health. So I, in fact, I, I injured myself doom scrolling Ukraine. I, I had a pretty bad cold and I, I was going to spend a day on the couch to see if I could just get rid of it. And so I grabbed my, my big iPad, the, the Pro, and the 12.9. And uh, despite it being as, the thinnest and lightest iPad they had ever made at the, that point in time, um, it was it was plenty heavy enough to do me an injury because I, I, I was holding it and reading it for about 10 hours uh, and uh, uh, I just i actually <laughs> ended up yeah, hitting that. a tendon in my shoulder, um, which was a sort of physical <laughs> it's manifestation. a different way of getting RSI, a spiritual RSI, I issue I was having. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I, I had to disengage. Um, so what I, 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 you know, DM this bloke back. I said, look, uh, it, it is an important story to, uh, to follow if you are inclined to follow it, but... Uh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't wallow in it because that isn't going to help anyone, particularly you. Um, uh, just what I do now is the New York Times provides a pretty good summary at the start and end of my day. Um, so, they, you know, they basically have a, a latest developments in Ukraine. So I'll read that in the morning. I'll read it in the evening. I usually read Mick Ryan's 25 tweet thread that he puts out each day because he's worth listening to. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of sub stacks um, that turn up you know, every now and then that are always worth reading. And then that's it. I, I don't go to my Ukraine Twitter lists anymore. I I, I don't go watching TikToks or anything like that. I I really try and uh, limit it. So, uh, you know, when you ask, how are we feeling about, you know, Mariupol, uh, to be honest, I am, I am feeling distanced because I I have sort of, you know, uh, pushed it away a little bit. I, I, it's. I think one of the real dangers uh, that we all faced in the first couple of weeks of that war is that we were so unused to thinking about literally existential questions of, you know, war and peace, life and death, that our our brains, which have been uh, broken by, um, by content the last 20 or 30 years. We're just not going to cope with the reality of what was going on there. And you would see things like uh, massive public support for a no-fly zone to be enforced over Ukraine with no real understanding of what the fuck that actually means Uh, It it doesn't just mean saying to Vlad, you know, don't put your planes up, mate. We're we're not going to stand for that. It means degrading, destroying his air defence networks initially so that you can then put your planes up to control that airspace by degrading and destroying any air assets he wants to put into it. So basically what you're talking about is breaking things and killing people, and we just – We're just not used to thinking in those terms in the West as a polity, as an electorate at at all. And I thought there was a very real danger that, you know, I I figured, and I think I wrote this pretty early on, the Russians are actually not very good at this sort of shit. They've never been very good at it. Um, What they're really fucking good at is standing off 20 or 30 miles away and just reducing entire cities to rubble with mass artillery. That's it. That's... That, that's their fucking happy place and that's what they will do in Ukraine and that's what they are doing in Ukraine. And I thought there was a very serious uh, danger that once those images began to come through that people would just freak the fuck out and that NATO would be driven by just brute political necessity into responding militarily. That turns out, you know, not to have happened. Uh, and I think a large part of that is, is down to, uh, you know, the people currently in charge. You know, Biden is an old Cold War warrior. Um, he spent his entire life thinking about what happens when, you know, the bloody guards' tank divisions come rolling through the Fulda Gap and, you um, And, you know, luckily, we had that administration in, not the previous one. Um, For
1: those of you not familiar with the Fulda Gap, that's the the spot where through the entirety of the Cold War, we knew that's the place where the Russian or the Soviet tanks in those days, that's where they're going to come through from East Germany and other countries into the West, uh, preceded by a rainstorm of tactical nukes. uh, Mm. And coming back from our side I can say our side, we won the Cold War yeah, beauty um, but that was the image that tsunami of Russian armour was going to be the thing with lots of nukes and as you say, people like Biden are old enough to remember how a land war with Russia v NATO ends up mm.
0: Yeah, that's right So It's not um, pretty How I'm feeling about uh, Mariupol is you know not real good but um, at the moment, uh, you know, I I don't think Ukraine is going to spin out of control in the sense that uh, I I think basically NATO has you know pretty obviously decided that they are not going to be directly involved in the fight, and and despite the fact that you know we have supplied um enough military equipment particularly uh for you know tactical level equipment like you know javelins and end laws and maybe stingers uh and you know helmets and, and some and,
1: bushmaster and, trucks yeah
0: yeah yeah stuff like that stuff that can be used by uh small units um to you know project quite serious amounts of power into um you know local engagements they haven't yet Really begun to turn the tap on uh, a strategic level investment in terms of like you know uh, material that they're they're pouring into the place, and I I, I don't know whether they will or not. I, I think if they if they think they can get away with it with with like what are called man portable systems, I think they'd much prefer to do that. Um, and I'm I'm just I am teetering still. I'm teetering on the fucking edge of falling into a, uh, a long discussion about whether or not that's a it's a good strategic decision, whether it's a misreading of Putin or not. And I'm pulling back from that edge and I'm taking a deep breath and I'm going to let you talk now. <laughs> well, well, I, like
1: you, um, I actually decided from day one or week one that I was not going to descend into the minute by minute tracking of a war tempting though it was because uh during uh, during the invasion of iraq and through i was uh, as uh, regular listeners to the pod will know i've told this very quickly before i was working for a daily energy industry newsletter uh just one column but i had to file four to five hundred words by 7 a.m on what had happened overnight in the war
0: Ooh, man. not
1: which units where or whatever, but it was purely where is everything in relation to the Iraqi oil infrastructure or as we mm. call it, uh, freedom and democracy. Uh, so I had, in fact, a CIA map, or and I, it's still a fantastic map. They update it. Just a map where all the pipelines are, where the oil fields are, where the power generation mm. is to run those pipelines and pumps and whatever. So all I was doing each day was... Um, yeah, uh, is, is uh, the electricity back on in Basra? Has a, a team got out to this pumping station to do it? It was incredible. There were, there were Marines and, and US airborne troops still clearing certain towns. They hadn't been fully cleared and the Texan oil well workers were already in there working on the pumps to get them back yeah. up and running. Uh, and none of, so much of that war... Made no sense unless you overlaid the map with yeah. this map map of the freedom and democracy infrastructure, and then suddenly oh, I see why they're going out there.
0: How did our oil get into so knew- their sand? The- I know there'll be some poor kid or kids somewhere doing that job right now because there are enormous. Um, Energy resources in the uh, the east of Ukraine, as I understand it, mm. um, I think oh, yeah. it's mostly gas. I haven't read that deeply into it, but uh, it is bunch of coal you know,
1: as well. That's what Vlad wants. Yeah,
0: yeah coal and the gas. Coal, it's it's oil and there. gas, and also where are they lithium and wheat, deposits? Barley. Oh, yeah. oh, wh- This is we. We need a producer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Lithium, Ukraine. Okay, so from the 1st of April, there is uh, a headline in this renewable energy newsletter called Ukraine, all lithium reserves and mineral resources in war zones. Yeah. And, oh, oh, yeah, it's, (laughs) yeah, it's all that bit up, up, yes, Correct. There's a map of lithium deposits, and it's all that bit around Mariupol and to the immediate north. Yeah. yeah it's e, um, just been occupied.
0: Yeah, there's there's an enormous amount of uh, old-school energy resources in eastern Ukraine, the, the coal and the gas, and there's uh, more crucially um, – Sort of, uh, what what do we call them now? Uh, well, I suppose they're green energy resources, aren't they? Like a, a lot of the um, mm. the batteries we want to you know put into our electric vehicles over the next ten or fifteen years. So the raw materials that would be coming out of the, the ground yeah. in eastern Ukraine. So you know, Vlad would love to rare earth elements. I think that. is the phrase you're looking yeah. for. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think his motivation is 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 more sort of crazy and bloodthirsty and medieval. But, you know, if you could pick up a a shit ton of rare earth elements into the deal, then uh, it would certainly sweeten it for you.
1: Well, Vlad seems to think he's the new Tsar. I don't know which Tsar he thinks. Uh, There's actually a wonderful episode of the Lawfare podcast where someone – it's a repeat from a couple of years back. But talking about just how he sees the resurgent Russian empire, Ukraine, Mm. of course, is part of Russia, is in his head.
0: Yeah, it's just a fucking (laughs) province.
1: That's why we say Ukraine, not the Ukraine, and things like that. Vlad is not looking well at the moment.
0: Uh, it's been a while since I've spoken to him, um, but I, oh, okay. um, I um, send I, I his under- regards. Yeah, I understand he's <laughs> Yeah, he's not looking his best. He hasn't uh, hasn't been able to find time to get onto the judo mat recently. We haven't seen any shirtless photos for a mm-hmm. while, so you know maybe he's uh, maybe he's chubbing up.
1: Um, I think he is.
0: All those underground MREs.
1: Oh, dear. How do you think this is going to go? What's your crystal ball looking at? We're, we're 58 days into this war, I've checked. That's, that's yeah. eight weeks. <sighs> I'll ask it another way. Some analysts are saying it now just goes into a war of total destruction. Russia didn't get a quick win. Uh, it's mm. embarrassed by its failures. Uh, Vlad will be pissed off, assuming he's being told the truth uh, by his his minions. And so it's now, if I can't have it, no one will. Grind it all yeah. down to dust.
0: I, I think that's a, it's a pretty good reading. Um, unfortunately, the problem he has is what uh – I think the strategist Lawrence Friedman describes as uh, unlimited ends with limited means. Uh, you know, he, mm. he does have, you know, very large military uh, industrial infrastructure um, as has been demonstrated. Uh, you know, quantity doesn't have such a quality all of its own, unless that quality is a bit rubbish. Um so, uh, you know, he's got – he still has – if he wants to take the east of Ukraine, um, that is going to be an absolute apocalyptic slaughter of a scale, you know, we haven't seen in that part of the world since the Second World War when fleets of thousands of German and Russian tanks engaged in duels on those planes – and that's what it will take. It, it won't be like the war we have seen previously. And I don't know that he has the military infrastructure to pull that off. Um, you know, we've seen like a lot of the uh, the problems that they had in the you know the opening fifty eight days. They're, they're deeply rooted systemic problems. So things like corruption within the Russian military. They were supposed to have all of this you know <clears throat> fantastic top shelf gear. And it turned out that a lot of the money that was supposed to buy that gear ended up, you know, buying fucking apartments in the French Riviera and, you know, yachts that are moored at, you know, this and that spot around the, the Mediterranean. So they have, you know, he has or he, he thought he had put hundreds of billions of, of dollars or rubles or whatever into modernising the um, the Russian armed forces, but it turned out a lot of that money was just, you know, misappropriated, yeah. stolen and and spent elsewhere. So, you know, where is he getting the, you know, the materiel that he's going to need to prosecute this war? It could well be that a bit like, you know, Hitler in the Battle of the Bulge, he's got just enough that he can scrape up from here and there to have this one massive push and hope that he grabs the the territory that he can, you know, then sort of hold on to at the negotiating table. But um, while all that's happening, you're still going to have this flood of material support coming in from the West, uh, you know, over the, the border with Poland. So, you know, he can port maybe, maybe puts two, two or 3,000 tanks into eastern Ukraine. You know, how long does it take the Ukrainians to start, you know, blowing the turrets off them? with more, you know, um, shelter launch missiles or drone strikes or stuff like that. So it's
1: And they've got like, a lot of tractors too.
0: Yeah, they do. They do have a lot of tractors. Dangerous, dangerous fucking <laughs> piece of uh, weaponry, the old tractor. Um, I, I thought the most – look, I thought the most logical way this thing would finish would be with someone putting a bullet in the back of his neck. And it's a bit disappointing that it hasn't happened so far.
1: That's still an option.
0: It is. Well, I would hope it was a live option, um, but it hasn't happened, which makes me think maybe it's not going to happen. Um, you know, maybe he has actually at least got that lockdown down so tight that he's, you know, he's safe from it. But uh, the the only way that comes to pass is if the Russian economy really, really starts to implode, and you know enough people around him go, he's got to go. And you know, I'm not seeing that yet. Mm.
1: Well, on Tuesday, uh, Vlad's got a meeting with uh, Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, uh, and there'll be a, a meeting between him and uh, uh, Mr. Zelensky um, at some point. After that, we haven't got a date yet. Oh, I guess we'll see what happens. Might have to get you back after that. Uh, let's take a break from that, and uh, I'll do the housekeeping. Rightio, let me tell you that the next episode of this podcast will be um, on Thursday, only five days away, Thursday the 28th of April. That will be another election episode uh, with just me, probably. Uh, We're doing them each Thursday through until uh, the election date, which I'm sure you know is Saturday the 21st of May. How could we forget now, this podcast is, of course, made possible by you, the generous listener. For this episode in particular, it's thanks to Neil Collier, a, a, a generous listener. Uh, Neil's um, uh, tipped me twice in recent weeks, which is rather lovely. And, of course, for the series, uh, it's uh, the special guests' uh, episodes, it's thanks to all the people who contributed to the 9pm Autumn Series 2022 crowdfunding campaign. And today... Uh, I want to particularly mention and thank the Media Freedom citizens who contributed a basic tip. You're all listed on the website. And the Foot Soldiers for Media Freedom, as I have been calling them, who gave a slightly less basic tip. And in alphabetical order, we have Ben Moretti over in Adelaide, Bob Ogden. Bob Ogden again, for some reason. Um, Like Well, the reason being that he uh, uh, pledged support twice. Brent Spargo, hi Brent, David Heath, uh, Errol Cavett, Garth Kidd, Jamie Morrison, Katrina Jetty, Kimberly Heitman, uh, over in Perth, Matt Arkell, uh, Michael Keating, Michael Strasser, Oliver Townsend, Paul McGarry, Peter McCrudden, Sam Spackman, Samara Smith, Susan Rankin, Tim Bell and two people who have chosen to remain anonymous. Thank you all all for your support. Uh, if you'd like to join them and uh, help support uh, this podcast in my general life, uh, please go to the 9pm slash tip, the 9pm edict.com slash tip, um, or just tell your friends, or, or do both, obviously, but uh, just tell your friends. The more people who, who listen to episodes, uh, the better. And, you know, like, subscribe, all those things. You know, you know how podcasts work. And now back to the action with uh, John Birmingham. Uh, time now, JB, for some trigger words. Uh, as regular listeners to the pod know, uh, this, he says, holding it up, is the glass jar of transparency with random trigger, trigger words in there. But two have been sent in specifically for you, mate. Hmm. John O'Ferguson in New Zealand, very <laughs> big fan, uh, he's sent through a word saying, his word is, you're doing okay. Uh, which he says, quote, I assume there's a singular German word for this, so I'm not really cheating. Goes for both of you, he says. That we're not singular. We'll uh, not I singular would assume word, that but-
0: the fact that there isn't a singular German word for that, I, I, I would assume the the Germans would uh, would be more direct. They'd, they'd have something that, that said something, you are very obviously not doing okay, you know, whatever bunch of German words, nah. you run one after the other because they're much more direct, the Germans us kind of coprophagic too.
1: Good heavens. Um There'd be <laughs> there elements in it of doom. I, I read it on and the internet, existed. They're a
0: very coprophagic culture. <laughs> you wanted a fucking trigger work. Well here to... we are, you've triggered me. Off we go. German coprophagic culture.
1: Yeah, all right, yeah. Okay. This is not they, at all where love, I thought this
0: was. They love going talking to go. about the poop. They just love it. Google it up. Germans and poop. Go on, I dare you. No, it's
1: true. It's true. It's true. The, 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 the toilet pans have a special little thing in it so it catches the turd so you can look at it before you flush um, to yeah. see if you're doing okay. Yeah. No, There's a whole thing weird. about what color is it, how firm it is. Mm. Um, a, a question that was circulating on Twitter and uh, it got some bloke blocked by some other famous person Would you touch a poo for $20? And I thought No.
0: You're a well, father, look, you've honestly touched no, poo no, for free. Uh, I I, uh, you- I I just immediately said no to that. But to be honest, I touch poo every day because I got two dogs and uh, yeah. you know, they're labs, they're big oh, yeah. eaters, mate. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I I got these thin little plastic bags, I got you know, it's very hard to to get open at the top. You gotta to, you know, the first one it's okay, you can lick your uh, finger and you can open that one, no trouble at all. The second one you've got to be real careful. Because you picked up the first one. And yeah. uh, so, you know, they're thin. <laughs> you, you can feel all the ridge lines and uh, everything. You feel everything. Uh-huh. And it's still uh, warm. For instance, uh, yeah, yeah they're, they're the worst. Um, like, you know, one of those bloody dogs ate its lead the other day. And I, I mean, ate it. The lead's gone. It's inside the dog and it's coming out bit by bit. You can feel all that. So, yeah, look, uh, if somebody would like to give me 20 bucks a day to do that, it, it would improve my life immeasurably.
1: That's a task no tasker kind of offering, isn't it? <laughs> Follow the <my> dog around.
0: <laughs> I'm going to 20, 20, 20 bucks I a shot. Did. Is, is 5 yeah. still a thing? Is that still around?
1: It is still a thing, yeah.
0: All right, I'm going to see if someone will pick up my dog poo for 5 bucks.
1: Uh, we can design you a logo, record a voiceover, and pick up your dog poo. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Come around There'll be place. robots for this. <laughs> I got a, I got a pinky for you <laughs> and uh, a mess in the front yard.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Jono. You've improved the tone immensely. Um, Peter W has another one. Um, bug nuts, which is not a word I even knew. <laughs> Uh, no. But apparently, saying someone it means crazy or insane, and and someone's like completely bug nuts. Apparently,
0: yeah. I, as you you know, probably know, I'm a big fan of neologisms. Um, and this one was mm-hmm. new to me. I had never, never mm. heard of it. It's it. it, it Pete Pete Darby, is He from. Uh, See from the Shaky Isles. Is this a uh, New Zealand thing? Uh, I think he's up your way in the Brisbane. Really bug nuts. No, I have. Uh, I like it. I like it a lot, um, but I have never, ever heard of it. I may um, – I don't know that it's strong enough, though. Like, to to call someone bug nuts because they're crazy – I mean, we already have bug shit, which I think does the job. I mean, do we need something more than bug shit? Because bug nuts isn't it. Like, if you had to have a scale
1: how, – How can you not – how can you have too many – how
0: – Got bug, shit, bug nut got is also shit. a
1: brand of 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 it's a barrel nut system to install and or change barrels within basic tools is a thing called a bug nut. It's a brand I've yeah. never heard of it, but apparently Remington use it for something.
0: It sounds like um it sounds like a swear word or a, a made up swear word that uh a a nun would use. So uh, we, we, I, I, I went to a, a like a Catholic primary school, and there was a nun there who tried to get us to substitute inoffensive words for you know swear words. And I can imagine she would that like, which is called Baldurism. balderizing. Oh,
1: yeah. That is, yeah, okay. the baldler, b o w d l e r, and that's named after a Mister Baldler who produced toned-down editions of Shakespeare. You know, Shakespeare without the cunt jokes and things like yeah, that okay. and classics for school I, kids.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with bowdlerization. I always uh, pronounce it or mispronounce the boldlerization. Um, uh, I
1: do too normally, so I don't know why I said that.
0: <laughs> but yeah, bug duck. Whichever. It's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, uh, I, Bowdler would love it, I reckon. He'd love it, be all over it.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much of this. I mean, you can never have too much slang. I I um, referred to someone on Twitter this morning, and I called him a a tediously tight sphincted goose because <laughs> uh, he was he was complaining about the AEC asking answering a uh, question about yeah, pencils yeah. with a joke. Oh, yeah, I, I yeah. We get
0: that, our, I saw that tweet. We get man, our pencils from reckon, the democracy
1: uh, tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the pencils grow on of a morning. democracy tree. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and um, the, the I sausage just said, tree. Oh, yeah, t- we do not discuss the sausage yeah. tree. That was very That's good. Right. It, um, they, they, it yeah, was, they I a thought. Top flight social media crew there at uh, AEC.
1: I might try and get the boss on to the pod. They declared me a national treasure the other week.
0: Oh, for nice. some reason,
1: I can't remember what it was I'd done that they decided I was. I, uh, I
0: think I. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw that. Uh, I think I saw that tweet too.
1: Yeah, they're also very good for you know, a friend of the pod, John Cadelka, the cartoonist down in Tasmania, mm. and me and others. They'll just come back to us when we're we're stirring up, and they'll just say, "Don't you start." Yeah. <laughs> just... <laughs> uh, good value, um, bug nuts. Yeah, I slang's good. Now, I think is it you we spoke with once about doing good good words They should have a a
0: repetitive yeah, vowel. them. yeah. That, in there's me. actually. Yeah, there's a formula to it. Um, like and, a bum bum. Uh, bum. Bug nuts is almost there. So you need, and, you know, I'm, I'm not a um, uh, linguist. Uh, linguist. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm not a linguist, so I don't have the right words. But there there is a, a formula for uh, coining a, a, a new word, particularly a swear word. And it, 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 a lot of it's got to do with rhythm, uh, rhythm, and um, mm-hmm. the, uh the, the, the strength, or the, is it the plosiveness? Is that the word they use of the um, plosive consonants is put
1: and duh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. So if it's punchy, anything um, that's got a punch of breath
0: with it, yes, that's it. Yeah, which so, is why uh, you usually, yeah. if you start off with. Um, like a, a one-syllable punchy word, like bug, for instance, and you follow it up with, um, I think, a two-syllable uh, word using, um, and it, it also has to be punchy, but it really helps. It really, the ear loves it if the vowel that you've used in the first one is the same as you used in the second one. And a really good example of this mm. is fuck Muppet. You know, there are a few words yes, that sound word. as pleasing to the ear as fuck muppet. You know exactly what it is you are, you know, accusing this, this person of being. And it's, it, it works on all the different levels because um, the word itself sounds like its own meaning and it, it matches that formula one syllable, two syllable, plosive, double plosive, and matching vowels.
1: Your term for Malcolm Turnbull, which was Chauncey Blundercunt. Blundercun. That's right yeah. in that pattern. So yeah, good to say. Is.
0: Yeah, and there's an, there was a guy who actually uh I, I can't like claim to it, but I, I do love it. Um somebody coined the name Revelations Dodge Wanker for for Morrison. And um that actually that that breaks oh, some of good. those uh, those rules, yeah. but it's just It just seems so, so on song for him. Revelations, Dodge Wanker.
1: Please, if you're uh, encountering fabulous swearing or fabulous names of people, do send them in. I'll I'll read out a few next time. Um, uh, This is absolutely fabulous. Thank you. Thank you, Peter W., uh, for that. Uh, We do have time to pull one out of the glass jar of transparency. So this could be... Literally, anything. Oh, thank you, Simon Harris. Uh, always a generous supporter. Simon Harris has said anti-vax to us.
0: Yeah, I would. I was kind of hoping those, you know, natural selection would have sorted that mob out already. Um, but oh, look, to be honest, there are more of them than you'd imagine.
1: They're part of this conglomerate now, aren't they?
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, and also there's a there's a uh, there's a whole sort of uh, you know subpopulation, or um, like you know population just off to the side of the anti-vaxxers who aren't necessarily anti vaxxers just a bit a bit dim. So I, I was actually I, I just heard just sort of off off to the side this morning. Um, There's some ABC news thing. They were box popping, you know, electorates here and electorates there, and um, I remember I, they were at some vaccination centre in. Melbourne and some woman came out she just she got her third vax and um, they were asking her about it because she was one of the few people coming out and she said oh yeah I'd always meant to but I just you know for whatever reason I just didn't get around to it And I thought well the reason like, mate is that you're a little bit dim um, but you know good honor. she went and, and got the the vaccine but I mean yeah you'd have to be wouldn't you you'd have to be a little bit dim you get this fucking magical wonder drug that'll save you oh. from a deadly fucking disease. I oh, um, yeah, I might, I might get it. Maybe I don't. Know. I, I got some stuff. I I was gonna uh, do do some things today, so I don't know. Maybe I'll get it next week.
1: Yeah, but it, it's odd that a woman was more like that. Than a man. I mean, men are more like this. It's like, oh, yeah. I suppose I should get my prostate tested again. Soon. <laughs> I suppose that, that spot that on my tough. leg.
0: There's that yeah. great. Oh God, what is it? it it's-, I wrote it's a roadside billboard, um, and the- it was a medical campaign. It was, a- I think, it was a prostate campaign, um, and it was. It had sort of done the research, and it had found out that, like, you know. Most men were just being stubborn about you know not getting checked, and the the uh, so the billboard was like, you know this this number of men will die this year from being stubborn, and someone had spray painted underneath. Uh, No, we won't. (laughs) I love that.
1: (laughs) That really is this. That though. Look, I I will say to people uh, again, um, I I did have a friend be stubborn about not going to check out why they're, you know, they were having problems and feeling crap and Mm. were finally convinced on a Sunday morning when they really were absolutely horrible to go to the the hospital and 20 minutes later they're they're in the back of an ambulance to another hospital to have half their bowel removed. So... Do check it out, guys. Give your balls a squeeze at the appropriate intervals and see that that's Ooh, a thing. Or inappropriate
0: intervals. You know, I mean, it's not like you've got to get off <laughs> the couch to do it. They're right there. Yeah. Like, just, yeah. just go for it. And, and chances that, that,
1: that, are your hand is straying around that part. Uh, and, I mean, you know, honestly,
0: uh, anyway. how good is it that we live in a country where you can legally put your poo in an envelope and mail it to the government? And and they'll look at it, Yeah. I mean, that's just – can you just imagine if a fucking German heard about that? Like, or an American.
1: Oh, they they have a yeah. fundamental right. That's a First Amendment issue. <laughs>
0: Sorry, you're like, <laughs> not getting my poo.
1: It's <laughs> so like, why? What are you going to be doing with it? <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, do it, folks. I um, have learned over the years that I do have the same GPs, been my GP for more than 25 years now. It must be coming up towards – 30. we have a fairly direct relationship uh, and and I got the automated thing saying time for the uh, the prostate test yeah. again we need to check so I was I was prepared for that and we finished chatting about the other things we had to do and he says right right done and I had my prescriptions for whatever else was routine and I said well don't you have to put your rubber gloves on now and I said no 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 we've got a baseline now so we just do it with a blood test sorry to disappoint mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there's a thing called a PSE prostate-specific enzyme that once they've done the first one with the the arse fondle and an ultrasound, they know how big Mm. your um, prostate is so they know how much of this enzyme should be being produced. So you just track it and see whether that spikes from then on. Unless you suddenly stop
0: being less able to wee or... Mm. Surely, you know, if you asked for the fondle, you could still get it. It's beyond Medicare, wouldn't
1: it? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I have a you know a lovely and quite I won't say intimate relationship with my doctor, but obviously, you know, him being my GP for a number of years, he is familiar yeah. with all well, the nooks
0: and crannies. <laughs> <Been> <laughs> That's there, right. Down that
1: the crevices. Uh, uh he has, yes, yes. Please have a – yeah, can you have a look at this? Because I think – oh, no, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although he did say to me once after I uh, burnt my hand uh, badly, really quite badly, and I had done that in the hospital. So it needed to be checked out and bandage changed and whatever, and, and I took it to him to check out like four days later or however many days it was meant to be, and he just said, look, Um, this is where I tell you that I'm a bit of a girl when it comes to trauma medicine Uh, and so I'm sure there's a, you know, bulk-billing doctor shop somewhere near where you live that would be perfectly happy to look at this, 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 which I don't want to look
0: at. This disgusting wound. That's right. This separating obscenity.
1: And I did say, bit of a girl, mate. It's been women who's treated this so far. <laughs> this, oh, that was that was not fun. That's another whole story. Anyway, thank you to Simon Harris for anti-vax. I know we didn't talk much about those freaks, but that's the point of a trigger word to see where it goes. Well, election.
0: No, JB. Ablo think. have
1: the Rona. Ablo have the Rona.
0: Ablo, Ablo, Ablo have the Rona. Alba
1: sneezy, which you wrote about in the alien side boob on Friday. Yep. Uh, look, before we talk about Ablo though, um, breakfast tequila. Tell me more about breakfast tequila.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I just <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't actually have breakfast tequila. It's uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a fucking not. animal, mate. It was a it's a breakfast gin. <laughs> Ah, I had, uh, There's some good know, breakfast gins out. There are. Well, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a growing uh, segment of the market. You know, start the day with a a little sort of floral pick me up. Nothing wrong with that, yeah. particularly when you've got a migraine and you know six or seven hundred words of, of gnarly ranting ahead of you.
1: I mean, there's gin infused with Earl Grey tea. Uh, there's one that was out for Easter. Someone had done a gin, a hot cross bun-flavoured uh, gin
0: for Easter. I think I Easter. saw
1: that. I think I saw that on the Twits. Tweeted a picture of the bottle of that. Looked nice. Um, Dan's was trying to sell it to me because they've their, their database marketing has figured out this guy buys a wide variety of gins, so mm. every, every – Every week they send me a, a kind of personalised email of, oh, "Have you tried this gin? We know the others you've tried and bought a second time."
0: Mm. So, so did you try uh, the, the hot cross bungee?
1: I didn't. I I was very tempted to, uh, and it was only about thirty bucks for five hundred mil. So, good novelty gin. I thought that's just enough for breakfast.
0: Yep,
1: half a liter of gin.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I I I'll have to have a look at it for Christmas. So I do a nice breakfast martini for uh, for Christmas Day. But, um, oh, yes, do It tell. can only ever be for Christmas Day because uh, you know your life would take a very different path if you had one of those every day. Um, let me just say, because you know because it's only one day a year. I don't have the recipe on the tip of my tongue, but I, it's let me come. So I. I did a. I'm pretty sure I did a um a little blog about this recently. Let me see if I can find this bad boy.
1: I will. While John's doing that, mention that he does have a lovely little book called The Seven Stages of Drinking Martinis or something along those lines.
0: Yeah, which is a lovely little read. It's not my recipe now, but um, yeah, look, the, the breakfast. Just Google up breakfast martini, and it's uh, it it is a whole fucking thing. It is. That's it. That's what makes it breakfast. Um, so you get some, uh, just some uh, red rye gin. You can use a triple sec procure or um, uh, sugar syrup if you want, a bit of lemon juice, obviously, and mm-hmm. one spoon of orange marmalade, really nice marmalade.
1: Oh, that's fabulous.
0: It's fantastic. You can, yeah, we, we had two um, on on Christmas Day just passed, and, uh, mate, that, that sets you up for the day.
1: In King Street, Newtown, there's a cocktail bar, been there for, for a long time, called Coletus, K-U-L-E-T-O-S, K-U-L-E-T-O-S. Mm. and on their website, they have a database of cocktails with more than 11,000 recipes in it, and yep. there's no wankery. It just purely, you know, what's in it, how do you mix it, what glass does it come in, and how many how many standard drinks you'll end up with um, having made one, and you just search for, for what you want and and they have like I've been getting into uh recently the gin and dubonnet uh, cocktail, which is uh, the queen's favorite drink so it's not just gin and it's not gin and tonic it's it's gin mm. and dubonnet rouge I've just been using normal dubonnet dubonnet was um it was the French way of getting quinine into soldiers' um, oh, diets yeah. okay. because it's base. It's basically red wine and quinine and some herbs. So it's about sixteen okay. percent alcohol. It's slightly fortified, slightly herby red wine, mm-hmm. and you can put in say I'm I'm doing it two ounces of gin, one ounce of Dubonnet, um, just on ice and with a slice yeah. of lemon, which is close yes. to how. <gasps> Queen makes a little – well, I think she has one and a half gin and half Dubonnet, but you can do it the other way around. You can put in two ounces of Dubonnet and one of gin if you want a more mm. uh, kind that'll of pre-dinner appetizer. Drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, beautiful aperitif. Uh, so apparently uh, it's rumoured they, they would have one every lunchtime, but but palace aides have said no, no not every lunchtime, but yeah. if there is a pre-lunch drink, that'll be it.
0: Yeah, that's very nice. I've actually been off the piss a bit because uh, I had this bloody cold I couldn't shake and decided I'd give Mm. my immune system a break. So I just, you know, cut the alcohol out, dropped three kilos within about two weeks too. Um, But I did, I had a nice drink last night. I went to a, uh, don't tell anybody, I went to a vegan restaurant last night.
1: That's all right. You've only told like a dozen or two dozen people just now? No one will know.
0: No yeah, it was uh, it was pretty good. They had these. Um,
1: I have vegans listening to this. You know,
0: well, they should go to this fucking restaurant, mate. It's uh, it's called You Came Again, which is a bit weird. I thought a bit <laughs> bit, bit, bit presumptuous, really. But um, uh, they had this fantastic. Uh, it was like a sort of baked mushrooms covered in uh, panko breadcrumbs. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really nice mouthfeel. Very meaty. Uh, I know some veggies who won't eat mushrooms because it feels like flesh to them, uh, which is you know why I ordered it, um. and um, <laughs> it was really nice. And there was ah uh, oh, there was some silky tofu bullshit, which was all right. Um, and they had the, 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 they they make really nice cocktails there. I didn't have the martini. My wife had the martini, and it was beautiful. It was kind of kind of minty, um, but I had for my first drink in a couple of weeks to wash down my. Uh, my crunchy panko mushroom. I had a um, uh, bloody uh, what do they call it? The the frose rose. <laughs> so it's like a rose slushy. Oh my god. It was oh fucking awesome. Oh dear.
1: That'd <laughs> be right if you had tonsil tonsil if you had tonsillitis or something. You've just had your tonsils well, removed it- surgery. You can only drink slushies
0: yeah it was it was like i don't know i i don't imagine the original the rose that went in was that great but because it was slushified it didn't need to be great and i i didn't realize i was only ever going to have one drink because you know i'm still giving the liver the break um Uh but one thing that i realized with with it being turned into a slushy was that you, you, you you couldn't you know neck it like a vb in a like a tv commercial um it's actually quite difficult to drink quickly. And so I was able to nurse my rosé slushy uh, all the way through my, my, my pancake-crumbed mushrooms, and uh, it was a very civilised evening, I thought.
1: That's one good thing about the Dubonnet and gin is that it's got that astringency to it. So, again, mm. you can't neck it because you'll, your mouth yep. will dry out so severely. Yep. So you do sip it nicely, and the big fat ice cube slowly melts and hmm. – it's working. You, you don't want to rush into another one because the mouthfeel again is part of what you're doing. I mean, I'm a bit of a fan of the old Camparian soda, which is so incredibly 1970s. Yeah. But, so, same sort of deal. Um, this was meant to be about the election. Do you want to talk about the election? Oh, or we, well, let's, Yeah,
0: we got to cover it uh, only for a couple of minutes. Um, look, I, I, I don't know that, you know, um, Ablo... You know, getting the spicy cough is uh, is going to be that much of a problem for them. Um, I, mm. as, you know, I think I wrote in the, the column yesterday. They've got some pretty hard hitters standing behind mm. him, harder hitters than than he himself is is able to be. In, and, indeed, oh, indeed. And
1: Senator Penny Wong and Foreign Minister Maurice Payne will be having a debate. That's been oh, confirmed they? in the
0: last twenty four oh, hours. Mate.
1: Well, they've they they've both agreed to be up for one.
0: Yeah, nail down the stadium furniture.
1: Coalition originally said no.
0: And, yeah, uh, <laughs> wisely.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, Mary Payne I is
1: one of the people on the coalition front front bench with a working brain.
0: No, she is, and she, like my understanding is, you know, as a as an administrator, she's competent. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: You know, she's uh, she's not. You know, unlike some of them. Um, She's not corrupt, like uh, she's, you know, she's well, that we know. Uh, no, I don't think at so. At time of she's recording, just, I, she's- I think she's just a. I think she's just a you know reasonably you know, competent administrator. You know, um, managing policies I don't agree with, uh, but you know, it's just again like the Solomons. That's that's on her. I mean, it's, it's basically on slow mo because yeah. he's in the.
1: Because they sent What's-His-Face, Zed Salito
0: Cecilia. Cecilia, is it? Um,
1: Cecilia, is it? Zed Cecilia instead.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Um, But, you know, that's – they've got this – they're so fucking embarrassed by it because they said – and I I believe them that they knew about it for months. Of course they fucking knew about it for months because the draft was circulating around the Pacific Forum. So, you know, it it would have been like – it would have been like, you know, what happens in my manuscript files, you know, as I'm getting towards the end of the book, you know, you've got your you know, your final, your final, final, your final, 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 absolutely the final draft. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yeah. you know, all these things would have been flying around the email in the Pacific. So yeah, they've obviously known about this, they've seen better but even so bloody that guy from Malaita province, uh the guy who's Sogavares, you know, um main opponent in sort of like intra-Island politics. <laughs> he was just, you know, telling us about it publicly for months. You know, the Chinese are going to do this. You've got to fucking do something about it. Um, and they did nothing. They, they did literally nothing.
1: Well, I found BBC stories going back weeks and weeks before it all happened. And, uh, yeah. I mean, let's be real, the Australian Signals Directorate's going to be all up in the Solomon Islands email.
0: Yeah, that's right. They'd Probably. be yeah. They they'd be all Plus over, they it. and they did nothing. It's just it's typical fucking Morrison, isn't it? Like a a, a problem arises, the problem's identified. What are we going to do about it? Nothing. We're going to do nothing uh, for quite a while, and then we're going to do some more some more nothing, and then we'll maybe we'll scratch our ass if it becomes a bit uncomfortable, and then finally there'll be a. A sort of mad scramble and a panic, and you wrap the whole thing up in 100 mile an hour tape and you throw it away as quickly as possible. It wasn't my fault, somebody over there fucked up. And you know, there was a telling uh report yesterday that you know, when uh, what Cecilia, whatever his name is, was was over, you know, trying to to mop up the mess. Um, this is you know, basically after the the. Solomon Islanders of, or Sogavares can confirm that he's going to be signing this deal with the Chinese. Yeah, so they, they send Zed over there. And, you know, what's the foreign minister doing? Oh, well, she's, you know, hosting fucking private fundraisers in Western Sydney electorates. So, you know, that's where their huh. uh, bloody their priorities are. Um, and why is she in Western Sydney? Because that's where fucking Morrison thinks he can pick up nine ALP seats by, you know, running this transphobic, you know, turf milf woman in uh, Warringah. So, you know, we'll give up Warringah. You reckon she's Starley a milf? can keep that.
1: But wait, wait, come back to that. You reckon, Deeves? I
0: think I think ScoMo thinks she's a milf. Ah. I think I think he, she's a bit of all right, mate, is what ScoMo thinks. Um, she's
1: got that look of a, a standard female Liberal Party candidate that they reckon's a bit of all right, the blonde hair shaped in a certain way. Yeah, uh, kind of in Michaelia Cash light. Yeah. Macaulay Cash Express.
0: I I always thought Makalia Cash was, was Julie Bishop light. I always oh, thought there sorry. was a bit You're of single right. white female yeah. going on there. Yeah. There's a lot of that.
1: Sort of sort of semi retired Fox News hosts.
0: Yeah. But anyway, look, you know, the Solomons, which is a fucking shit show, is down mostly down to ScoMo, but also, you know, she's the foreign minister. Mm-hmm. It is literally her fucking job. What was she doing? Fundraising in fucking Western Sydney, you know, while Zed's off, you know, pulling his put in the uh, in the South Pacific. It's, oh, there's an uh, image. you know, it's it's pretty bad. Uh, and, you know, it's not an easy job to do because, you know, it. Sogavara and his mob are cop and quids like, you know, no one's business from the Chinese. It's it, it, You never see it really, you know, mentioned in any of the coverage here.
1: <laughs> and from the the riots outside their own parliament house.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, he faced a – Sugavari faces a bloody uh, no confidence motion in parliament, and he gets through, and everybody who votes for him suddenly gets a $40,000 drop into their um, – you know their electorate funds or whatever and the forty thousand dollars has come from fucking Beijing so you know it given that it shouldn't have been that hard to go in there so forty thousand dollars come on mate we can do better than that like you know maybe we can't drop it directly into your electorate account you know we got laws about that but you know just tell us what tell us what you need to keep these blokes out of here and it's yours
1: well, Australia did give Solomon Islands uh, fibre optic internet cable um, because Huawei were offering them one at extremely good rates uh, out of China, and mm. Australia just went, "Oh shit, we don't want that. We, we want it to be Australian fibre going in there." Thank you very much. Uh, for for some reason, I can't imagine why we'd want to control that.
0: I suspect that they just they haven't they haven't internalised the reality that they are now in open and naked great power competition for influence and control of this particular space and you know there are certain things we are constrained from doing with the Chinese and I'd say you know we can't drop a $40,000 bribe into someone's private account but we can certainly go oh you know internet cable mate yeah yeah we can lay that or oh, you need a new harbour, just, you know, sure. It's going to cost billions. And, you know, it's possible that Sogavare has realised that and he's like, well, I can play these blacks off against each other for the next 10 years. Um, and he can, and he gets it wrong, which I think he has. The end result is that a whole bunch of cruise missiles fall on top of Coniara at some point. <laughs> but it's, you know, how much cheaper would it be just to fucking, you know, give them what they want? Keep the Chinese out rather than dealing with the consequences down the track of not giving them what they want now, even if it's not reasonable, letting the Chinese in there and then having to deal, you know, with that fucking dog's breakfast, you know, five, 10 years from now.
1: Final quick question, then. Uh, as we as we record, sports bets odd for a Labor win uh, out to a dollar seventy. Coalition two dollars ten. They have seen the narrowing, uh, but essentials polling from Wednesday, but which was therefore done online Wednesday to Sunday, uh, nearly a week ago now, and before Albo got the plague. Uh, electorate in general, fifty five percent of the punters reckon Labor's going to win. Forty five, Coalition. Yeah. You
0: reckon that's... Yeah, that means nothing, does it? Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, We're still four weeks out. Nothing. Literally fucking nothing. Like, no. um, it's, I mean, I guess it might shape the sort of, you know, result at the margins because somebody who thinks, uh, you know, I think these guys are going to win. Yeah, okay, well, you know, I don't like this prick much so I can vote for him. But, I mean, that's, in the end, that's all just wish casting and blowing smoke and um, it's... Yeah, nobody knows nothing.
1: Yeah. That's
0: what I reckon. That's, no one that's, knows
1: nothing. It's a good summary of everything. So, uh, John Birmingham, thank you very much for blowing some smoke with me. It's been a pleasure as always, and I'll let you get back to your weekend.
0: Cheers. Thanks, mate.
1: So, dear listener, uh, JB and I recorded that conversation on Saturday morning. It's now Saturday night. But before I wrap this up, there's two things I wanted to mention that we didn't get around to talking about this morning. One, in Ukraine, the Kiev Independent is reporting that a Russian lawmaker has proposed to force Ukrainian POWs to donate blood to injured Russian soldiers. That is... He's suggesting that we basically vampire up on Ukrainian prisoners, drain their blood. Uh, Sergei Leonov suggested that while uh, speaking with reporters uh, on Thursday, April 21st. Uh, I don't know much about Sergei Leonov. Uh, his Wikipedia page just mentions that he's a Russian politician. He's an ultra-nationalist from the Liberal Democratic Party in, in Russia, and he's representative uh, represented the Roslovel, Roslovel, uh constituency in this, the Duma, the Russian parliament, since the 2021 election last year. Um, and the only other fact it has about him is that he did this suggestion about draining blood from POWs. Um, I th- I think I mean it comes as no surprise I'm sure for me to tell you that um uh, draining blood from POWs is both against the Geneva conventions uh and against international humanitarian law i.e. it's it's a crime against humanity uh, as well as a, a war crime uh, but that's sergey i i mean when you ever see anything saying this was said um, by a politician while speaking with reporters, you've got to remember that in an Australian context, that could be while Craig Kelly was doing a press conference, and and he suggested only God knows what. Number two that I wanted to mention uh, was that this week Scott Morrison decided to have a whinge about ASIO.
0: On Solomon Islands, you said that in your experience with the NSC, you know a bit about national security. Mm -hmm. Earlier this year, when you and other ministers made similar comments about China, the head of ASIO said politicising national security is, quote, not helpful. So why did you repeat that comment when our national security agencies are saying it is not helpful? It's doing Australia a disservice. Hmm. Well, see, when you're Prime Minister, you're running the government. Um, Public servants don't run the government. Prime Ministers and their Ministers-run governments. Oh, well, they, I mean, they do, and technically that is correct.
1: But when the head of ASIO, Mike Burgess, uh, is the current head of ASIO, decides to say publicly that the politicians are not being helpful, I would have thought that the politicians listen to that and understand how how big a step that is. But no, they have a bit of a sook. Well, I'm the Prime Minister. I'm the Prime Minister. You're just a public servant. Fucking hell. Well, that's all The Edict for now. Bit of a long episode again. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, all the links, credits, everything else at 9 pmediccom and go to slash tip to do the needful or just tell your friends. That'd be lovely. This helps me survive. The next episode will be another election episode this Thursday, the 28th of April. Until then, I'm Stilgerian. Wash your hands and vote early, vote often. The
0: 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.